0: being one prat so accustomed to come together <clears throat> to meditate chant listen to the dhamma Call it the observance day or the holy day or one prat in Thai. According to the conventional reality, <coughs> we use the concept of time days, nights, weeks, months. useful for us as humans to do this. It's what we call Samut Banyat or Samuti Banyati. <coughs> the apparent reality, the world of names, labels. Designations. And the Buddha pointed out that this is <coughs> separate from paramattha satya, ultimate reality. With wisdom, we use the conventional reality, the concepts, the ideas, the labels for our practice to help us understand how to live in the world, how to live as human beings, get on together and then that can support our spiritual practice for liberation. But the Samuti Panyati can also become oppressive. And it can become a great burden on the mind. It can become an attachment, cause for confusion, conflict. In short, the Buddha Sometimes use the word nama. We know nama rupa, name and form, <coughs> physicality and mentality. But well, we sometimes we call it name, name and form. And the names, all the names of this world, the Buddha said, oppress the hearts of humans. Just trying to keep abreast of all the information in the world now. <clears throat> it takes a lot of effort, a lot of skill, filtering it, knowing what's useful, what's not. With the rise of information technology The world of Samuti Banyati has kind of suddenly expanded. It's not to say it's good or bad, it's just what it is, but (coughs) if we don't use mindfulness and wisdom, it can overwhelm us. we learn the conventional reality through language, through our parents, teachers, people we associate with, and this is why the Buddha encouraged us to associate with the wise. They'll give us good advice and guidance how to use conventional reality to help understand the higher, ultimate reality. She's saying the purpose of all the Dhamma teachings, the Tripitaka, the words of the Buddha, and the words of the, uh, all our meditation teachers they're using conventional reality to help us understand and pointing to ultimate reality. So we have a great debt to our parents and first teachers and friends who give us language. <coughs> Not only do they give us language but they give us Values and standards of behavior and give meaning to things. And we have to use the conventions of the world so those values and meanings are helpful to us. So most parents will teach their kids to be what they see as good kids. Teach them basic morality, standards of behaviour and that's how we learn that's how we begin to learn but as adults we have to carry on learning and take over the responsibility ourselves which is what the Buddhist teachings are supporting and helping us do even in adult life we can still rely partly on what our peers, colleagues friends think and say and do to guide us as well so we have that reflection what would our spiritual friends say about our behaviour the reflections of a seminar would they find fault with the things I do and say That's one way we learn. We take on values and ways of behavior, partly influenced by what the people around us will think of us. Ultimately we have to learn for ourselves and know for ourselves, but it's valuable to have friends in the Dhamma who do give us reflection standards of behavior that's how the Vinaya works, how Buddhist monasticism works. So it's not wrong to be aware of what others think of one and what they say. If we do something that's, say, against the Vinaya, then it's normal that other monks will criticize us. Even lay people will. The more experienced people become in in the practice, then they know what's right, what's wrong, correct, incorrect. But rather than seeing that as an obstacle, it's actually helping us, especially in the beginning of the practice. We keep one eye on our friends and that helps us to be more mindful, more careful what we say, what we do. Partly how our Hiriotapa, these guardian qualities that keep us out of trouble, out of suffering, develop, is because partly we're aware of what other people will think and say about what we've done, what we've said, or in the most refined level, even what we're thinking. <clears throat> if you have an unwholesome thought, but then you recollect the Buddha or your teacher. That can be enough in that moment to help you drop that thought. Or with our external behavior. Sometimes it may be the cause for us to do something when we're feeling lazy, but we put effort into following the routine or doing a chore. It may be the case that we're doing it because we're worried others will criticise us. In the beginning that's not a bad thing. It helps us to get through some of our coarser defilements. But obviously in the end the aim is to understand with clarity and wisdom why we practice, how to practice, so we're not just dependent on others. But hiryotapa, these qualities, they protect us <clears throat> right through our practice from start to finish. They're skillful qualities that, of mind that are present in all your wholesome mental states. There's always those qualities that are there, like faith, mindfulness, hiryotapa. One teacher once compared Hiriotapa to a ball of iron. He said, Hiri, that sense of shame, is a more internal quality. It's your own sense of shame, fear, and uh, recognizing what is good and bad, right and wrong, and steering away from it. It's like uh, having a ball of iron covered in shit. You wouldn't want to pick, pick up that ball because it's smelly and repulsive. Just as you wouldn't want to think that thought or do that thing because it's unpleasant. Otapa is more like a ball of iron that's red hot. You wouldn't want to pick it up because it would burn you. (coughs) And that's like the suffering that would come, the consequences of our unskillful actions particularly in society, what others would think of us, or any consequences that would come our way from an unskillful action. These two qualities, hiriyotapa, we're constantly cultivating in conjunction with mindfulness. And they help to watch over the mind and filter out some of the more unskillful negative qualities that we fall into. And when we begin our practice, we're always frustrated because of the battle between our desires and our wants and the Dhamma and the Vinaya. It's normal we feel frustrated because in the lay life we're used to following desires, getting what we want, when we want, doing what we want when we want when we come into the monastery we start to follow the Vinaya then there'll always be these little moments of conflict between our desire and maybe what's appropriate in a situation what's expected what's required so in the beginning often we have a reaction to the Vinaya we don't like it it feels like a straight jacket or some kind of limitation on our behaviour brings up a lot of aversion. If you keep practising, that whole experience changes. So after a while, as the hiriyotapa develops, you recognise that these qualities really are guarding and protecting you, keeping your mind away from suffering and the ways that lead to suffering. And you see how the Dhamma Vinaya is a vehicle for that. So rather than being more caught up in the frustrations of your desires not being met, we prefer the other, we prefer the alternative, which is to follow the Dhamma Vinaya, because we can see it's the way to happiness. And we're more willing to give up desires based around craving and delusion because we know they lead to suffering. But that period is a period of transition that takes time and we have to be willing to learn from our experience. So that's really what the Buddha was teaching. He's teaching us how to learn, learn well as human beings and particularly learn how to abandon the causes of suffering and cultivate the causes of peace and happiness. this is always a kind of learning based on understanding one's own heart and mind. <clears throat> Obviously the information is all out there in the books, the teachings. <clears throat> but we have to learn how to internalize it and bring it in through the practice. Being more aware, being sharper, clearer with our own mind taking more responsibility for our own mind. Another one of those qualities that's always there in any wholesome mind state with hiriyotapa mindfulness is saddha, which is often translated as faith. It also means like trust, confidence. So you find people who build up a sense of confidence and trust in the Buddha and the words of the Buddha, and in the enlightened wisdom of the Buddha, often find their practice goes a little bit easier, smoother. Because with that trust, you're willing to practice and willing to take on what the Buddha taught, the Dhamma and the Vinaya, and put effort into the practice. <clears throat> That's why the hindrance of doubt is one of the most one of the earliest obstacles that we have to learn to overcome. You can't overcome doubt by knowing everything. Sometimes we try by reading a lot and learning a lot, answering every question we have in our mind. Really it's developing a wise attitude to doubt, recognising doubt for what it is, and accepting there are some things we don't know yet but we'll put to the test, and maybe we'll know later. Other things we can learn and know very quickly, and we can as- put our doubts aside because we've, we've seen through them. <clears throat> but as we learn to recognise doubt and set it aside, then our, the quality of sadha, trust, confidence in the practice and in the teachings grows. This is vital because it has to be present in every wholesome mind state. If you have some strong conditioning of trust and confidence in the teachings arising then you feel have that feeling uh, everything is alright even even though you still have suffering and obstacles in your practice. It's faith in the beginning that carries you through. Eventually it's the cause for you know, deeper qualities, the, the insight and the wisdom to arise, but in the beginning we have to rely on faith a lot, <clears throat> but to see that faith is not just blind faith, blind belief, which is often looked down on in our society, it's confidence and trust in that which is good, and that which seems to be correct, even if we haven't proven it completely to ourselves and one of the ways <clears throat> Sattah grows is by just using wise reflection logically reasonably looking at your practice over time and seeing one thing leads to another cause and results cause and effect And you can see how it's possible for human behaviour and a human mind to change over time, for the better. (coughs) You'll notice when sadhara is weak, then we easily get distracted and caught up into doubts, uncertainty about ourselves, our own ability to practice whether the practice really leads to fruits, really leads to benefit, is it worth it, is it possible. We often have a fixed view of things when our faith is weak. and We become often become very negative. So we say, I don't have the me I'm no good, I can't do it, it can't be done, and so on. <clears throat> but you have to start looking in very... Maybe in more modest, humble ways, as Ajahn Chah used to say, the earthworm approach. Rather than saying, can I reach Nibbana in this life and wanting to make some great jump, which is totally unrealistic. Just look at your practice on a daily basis. Can I get up, put some effort into meditation? Can I keep the Vinaya today? Can I fulfill my duties as a monk today? Can I do something good for myself or for others today? And just looking at very small, reasonable goals and having achieved some of those small, reasonable goals, then you look back, you reflect back and you see you did do what you set out to do and you achieve something and you probably will feel good about that and then you can see that the practice does work to brighten the mind remove some of the suffering and you can see by logical extension if you keep doing it well you are only going to see more of the same kind of results again we don't have to look to the all the way to Nibbāna, but we just look at what's there in front of us, what what needs to be done today or right here, right now, because it's the present moment where we practice. It's very easy, when we have got a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of wisdom in the practice, that we can get caught into despair feeling like the the practice is more like a huge mountain that we've got to climb and we're still at the bottom and the summit looks so far away. You have to catch that way of thinking. It's a very modern kind of thinking with all the information we have nowadays. We're always comparing ourselves to others, comparing what we know, comparing ourselves to teachers, to the Buddha and everything very easy to feel despairing, lose confidence in our own ability to practice. So we also have to come back and just look at the more the small things, the ordinary things. It's like in the old days in Thailand when in the Vasa often we used to do practice like eating, they say chantokba, just eating the food that you get on Bindabat. And in northeast Thailand that often means a meal of sticky rice without much else. And the people are so poor, you go from house to house, and literally one household just gives you a tiny little ball of rice. If you're lucky, every few houses might give you a banana, banana or a cake or something. <coughs> but the food is very simple and very in small amounts. But every day you get the same result. You keep going through the village and those small balls of sticky rice add up. Eventually you end up with a huge weight of sticky rice. Often it's quite heavy to carry. And you might have a few other things you can eat. So over time you notice, you see the anxiety in the beginning of the Bindabao. Am I gonna get any food? Are they gonna come out today? Especially on certain days like a a busy work day or a, a rainy day, you may be in doubt if anyone's actually going to come out. But in the end, you always find people come out, and quite, very quickly you accumulate a lot of stuff in your bowl, and the anxiety disappears. And you can see all those small acts of kindness when people put a small lump of rice in your bowl can build up to something quite substantial. So, they like to compare that to the practice. Every moment of mindfulness on its own might seem insignificant. Every good act, kind thought might seem insignificant. But when you add them all up, they become something quite substantial. So, we have to learn how to look at the practice in a balanced way and build up our faith, our confidence, based on what we can see and know for ourselves rather than just on ideals and information we've gathered from other people and other places. And just look at what's going on in your daily life and see when you put forth an effort to bring up mindfulness and let go of a negative state of mind, you put forth effort into the chores or doing meditation or doing whatever you have to do, you can see results quite quickly. You have to learn to have that approach to the practice, so that you don't go to disappointment or despair too quickly, too easily. So even like uh, <clears throat> last week in New Zealand, there there was the news that all these hundreds of whales got caught onto the beach when the tide went out. They're huge, heavy things, and there's always some volunteers, animal lovers and so on, who want to help. So all these volunteers went down to the beach just to move one whale off the sand into the water to save its life. Seems like a massive job. And there was like an endless stretch of hundreds of whales. And time was running out. So the journalists asked them, you don't you feel... Despairing. There's so many whales and so few volunteers. You, you might only save one or two. <coughs> but because the people love whales, they say, well, one or two is better than nothing. And they're willing to do it. And they know they might not save every whale, but at least they'll save a few. The practice tends to be like that. If you look at your mind, well of course there'll be some times when craving and defilement overwhelm you and come up. But if you notice the small victories where you establish mindfulness, you don't follow some greed, you don't follow some anger, then you can see, well it can be done, and if I keep doing this, then there'll be more, more good results, more benefits to follow. You have to learn how to Bring up faith, confidence in our own ability to practice in this way and use all the different skillful tools the Buddha pointed to, to help us. Keep re-establishing mindfulness in the present moment. Keep guarding over your mind with hiriotapa so you you learn to steer away from unwholesome thoughts and unwholesome actions and you keep reflecting on the benefits of the, the wholesome thoughts, the wholesome actions that you do perform. The more you can see the good that you're doing, the more confidence you'll have in the practice as a, as a vehicle to change and develop your own mind. And the whole Buddhist path is based on this principle that we can improve and develop as human beings, even to the highest, to, to Nibbāna. In the end, it's no different really than our parents when we were young, teaching us all the things we need to know, language, the rights and wrongs, the do's and don'ts, even though we used to get annoyed with them. In the long run, a lot of that teaching they gave us has been invaluable for us as human beings. And now we're building on it with the Buddha's teachings, Teaching us how to look after this mind, protect it, improve it and develop it and through our speech and actions as well. If we keep doing this then you can can trust that good results will come. We need to keep re-establishing these wholesome qualities, the patience, the mindfulness, the hiriotapa, the faith. These are all the qualities that brighten the mind, give it a chance to let go of the causes of suffering, the craving, the attachment. Because my voice is not very good, I'll just say this much tonight.